Welcome to episode 465, where I sat down with screenwriter Dennis Paoli. Screenwriter known for the new Heather Graham film, Suitable Flesh, but also the classics Reanimator and Body Snatchers. In the latest film, Suitable Flesh, Joe Lynch leads Heather Graham in the story of a psychiatrist who becomes obsessed with one of her young patients, who she later discovers is linked to an ancient curse. In this interview, we talk about adapting many of H.P. Lovecraft's work, along with Edgar Allan Poe's work, how partnerships helped David finish his work, telling an adaptation before the title credits, the question of identity in horror, how the script was revived after 20 years, and working with director Stuart Gordon on these films such as Reanimator, From Beyond, and Body Snatchers. If it's your first time here, hit that subscribe button. I've also created a special digital download for Halloween, 31 of my best horror interviews in a book. Go to brockswinson.com horror. You can also find more info on my Instagram, at brockswinson, or on Twitter or X, at brockswinson. Uh, I met Stuart Gordon in high school. And uh, my the great, the great genius director and uh, my oldest friend. And uh, met him in high school and we discovered we had the same sense of humor, even though we were in entirely different fields. He was an art student. Uh, he was an, he's an excellent, he was an excellent artist, a painter and, a, and a, a, a visual artist. And I was a science and math guy. Uh, and we discovered, but we discovered that we overlapped in a couple of important ways. We had a very similar senses of humor uh, and we loved uh, books and movies. So we started a, a satire group together uh, we, back in the 60s, uh, in the early mid 60s. We were, that's how old I am. In the early mid '60s, uh, we started a satire group based on the work of our heroes, the Second City uh, theatrical group in Chicago, and we actually played the coffee house circuit for a couple of years as high school kids doing set satiric comedy, sketch comedy, and uh, we were pretty successful. And Stuart and I wrote all the material, so we started writing together back then. Then we went to college together. We were college roommates for a couple of years. He got into the theater. Uh, I worked with his theater. I worked in his theater. I helped him adapt a couple of plays that we did. I acted in a couple of them with uh, that he directed. Uh, and uh, then uh, I actually did uh, some uh, di- ex- uh, extra dialogue work, some dramaturgy work, and uh, some writing for a couple of pieces for his organic theater company in Chicago. Stewart had a very successful uh, theater company in Chicago that told, it was very narrative theater. It was almost like watching a movie on stage. So then when he wrote movies, we were ready to go. He was, he had the directing chops. He was great with actors. He uh, was great. He look at him, watch his movies. Uh, in, just for the ar- artistry of the screenshots. Uh, he would compose a shot like the artist that he was. But he was also a great storyteller and a, uh, and, and a, a really great collaborator. Stewart had a very powerful sense of story. So when we worked together, he worked on the story and I worked primarily on the characters and the dialogue. Uh, and that worked very well for us. And not only that, it made me get better at storytelling. Uh, it helped me get better. So that's sort of how it started. 
uh, and it started by uh, I got I got to be a better screenwriter by collaborating with somebody else. Stuart wasn't my first screen collaboration. I go back. I had another couple of screen collaborations with other friends who uh, that actually got made into films. Uh, so uh, it, what I discovered, like a lot of writers, I would I had great story ideas and I'd write the first couple of pages and then the third page wouldn't be as good. And the fourth page would get half done. And I have no idea where it's going from here. And it would go into a drawer. I still have a file drawer full of unfinished stories. I never finished anything until I collaborated with somebody else. And I was responsible for finishing the work. I was responsible for helping to finish the work. That's how I learned to finish. Uh, I learned it from working with uh, talented friends. And uh, we and happily, they were they were very talented and I was at least minorly talented. And the stories were the stories were worth telling. Uh, so uh, that that's that's my story. I mean, now I'm you know, now I'm uh, I'm retired from my academic job for a few decades. I was uh, uh, I worked at the Hunter College of the City University of New York as an English teacher and writing, uh, running writing programs. And I taught Gothic fiction for 20 of those years. And uh, now uh, I'm, I'm retired, but I'm retired from that. I'm not retired from my writing career. I want to continue. And now I have stories of my own to tell. So I'm really looking forward to it. What was, for, for one of your early collaborations, you and Stuart worked on Reanimator. What was the original idea? Like, tell me a little bit more about the logistics of that process. You've already said a few things already, but how did that all come together for the, the first script, let's say? Yeah, it was a lot of, um, I always say that a good movie is a happy accident when a good movie gets made. And there were so many happy accidents that got Reanimator made. We were really fortunate. I mean, we were ready. Stuart was particularly ready. Uh, to to you know blow an audience away with what he could do on the screen, uh, but uh, let me refer you to his recently published memoir, Stuart's uh, Stuart Gordon's autobiographical memoir, uh, Naked Theater and Uncensored Horror, uh, by Fab Press in England, is due to come out in the middle of next month, in the middle of November sometime. Uh, pick it up; it tells that story of how Reanimator came together. Uh, but let me, uh, one, it came together because Stewart's Theater was, uh, Stewart's Theater in Chicago, the organic theater, was so successful. And uh, people recognized that it was a narrative theater. It was in the great tradi Chicago tradition of uh, story theater. So uh, he was, he was uh, uh, an identifiable talent who could really tell a dramatic story in feature film length. Uh, the length of a night in the theater. Uh, and enter Brian Usna. Okay, let's give big credit to Brian Usna. Reanimator doesn't happen without Brian Usna. Brian is, the of, of us all, he's the true believer. In the 80s, in the mid-80s, uh, there were two ways to make independent low-budget films. You can make an independent low-budget comedy, or you can make an independent low-budget horror film. We kind of made both. Reanimator walks that line between horror and humor uh, that we were that we found ourselves so interested in. So, uh, but Brian 
is the true believer. He's the he's the horror film fan number one. He's uh, a real uh, 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 founder of the of the eighties horror movement. He uh, and one of the real founders, and a lot of credit to him for recognizing that. Stewart had the talent that this was the kind of movie we were going to make. Okay, let's make a movie. Uh, then we got to give credit to Charlie Band and Empire Film that picked it up. And uh, if there was one thing, if there's one thing you can say about Charlie, he made movies. Uh, he got movies made. Uh, so Reanimator was going to get made one way or the other. Uh, so, uh, but why Reanimator? Why those stories? Why adapt those Lovecraft stories? Those little known at the time Lovecraft stories. They're among his earliest stories. He uh, he felt that they were they were not near his best work, especially when he went on to write about the 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 grander, more cosmic horror that uh, that threatened him, that threatened his sanity. Uh, so. Why the reanimator stories? Well, Stewart tells the story in his book, uh, but a friend suggested them to him. We we both loved Lovecraft uh, as a uh, we knew each other. As I said, we knew each other in high school. We uh, uh, both loved uh, film, and we especially loved horror films. And as a science and math student, I loved uh, I loved to read, but what I loved to read was science fiction, and that leads you directly to Lovecraft. So uh, we knew our Lovecraft, but we didn't know those stories. Hmm. They weren't in, in, in publication at the time that Stewart had to go find them. He had to go to the library and dig them up. Uh, and uh, they, he went, okay, it's here. These are the stories. This, this, character's, this character's story has to be told. Uh, Herbert West, the story of Herbert West's mania to defeat death. Mm -hmm. and uh, and the horrors that ensued. So uh, we looked at all the stories, took something from, we took something from each of the stories, contemporized it, brought it up to date to contemporary times. He gives me credit uh, for that idea. And then uh, we found the story that we wanted to tell and uh, the rest is history. If you were giving advice to novice screenwriters who are maybe looking in the public domain for an adaptation like that, is it just something that they should be obsessed with in terms of which story to choose or any other details you could share about that? Yeah, it's got to spark you. Obsess, uh, I prefer the word inspiration, but if you get obsessed, go with it. Uh, you know, yes, you know, find something you connect with, something that suggests to you the story that you want to tell. For this not only is he in the public domain he's an impressionist as i said i taught literature for a long time and i taught gothic fiction and lovecraft is one of the great impressionists in american fiction meaning he doesn't show you quite anything he gives you the idea and allows you to imagine it he suggests what the horror is and you have to and it allows you in fact requires you to imagine the horror so of course you imagine the most horrible thing that you can, which makes Lovecraft's work so effective. Uh, and therefore, it's rife for inspiration because you can read Lovecraft and go, he, he most of the, in, in some of his most famous stories, you don't see the horror. You don't see the parade of monstrosities that drive the uh, narrator 
mad at the end of the story. All you know is that it's something awful and it it's so engaging. It's it's such a challenge, but it's such an imaginative uh, opportunity to discover what horrify you know discover what thrills you what thrills and horrifies you that it's it's impossible to uh to not engage with those stories so find that story find that story that that engages you that may that fires your imagination that gives you the idea of where you could go next with it i mean if you know if you know if you know from beyond uh our follow-up film to reanimator you and you know your lovecraft you know that we told the entire Lovecraft story before the credits. The pre-credit sequence is the entirety of Lovecraft's story from beyond. The rest of the story we imagined from his story, from the setup, using his story as the setup, we imagined the rest of it. And we think that, you know, Stuart and I were convinced that we were being faithful to the spirit of Lovecraft, certainly not to the letter, but to but film isn't letters. Film is images. You have to show things. So we couldn't be impressionistic. We had to be expressionistic. We had to say it out loud. We had to show it on the screen. Uh, so we felt free, uh, liberated, and liberated by Lovecraft, who we felt he gave us license to imagine the worst, the most thrilling, the most exciting story that we could imagine based on his story, uh, based on the details and the imaginative power of his his fiction. Uh, and we think we did that. I'm sort of moving through your work here. So Mike Flanagan just came out with Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. I know one episode. I heard is, about uh, that. I haven't seen it, but yeah. I heard about it. One of the episodes is around the pit and the pendulum, which I know you also adapted. Uh, what was your take or what was your connection with Edgar Allan Poe writing that screenplay? Uh, we love Poe. Uh, Stuart and I loved Poe from the beginning. When I said, you know, remember I said we met in high school. Uh, we were good students. Stuart was the secretary of his uh, graduating class. I was an honor student. Uh, but every once in a while we would cut class and we would cut class to see the the new hammer when the new hammer film came out when the new christopher lee dracula film came out we'd go see that or we'd go see the latest american international poe adaptation uh and so we were hooked on poe from early uh i've always let and again when i taught gothic fiction there were several works by Edgar Allan poe that were central to that uh stewart always loved poe's story and if you haven't read it you got to read it the imp of the perverse Read The Imp of the Perverse. It is the central idea in most of Poe's work. And you see how it could have been inspirational for Lovecraft. Uh, the idea that we are all our own worst enemies, that we are all uh, perverse in the sense that we are uh, self-destructive at the most inopportune times, uh, that that's always a threat to our own identity, to who we think we are. We think we're people who who achieve when we are actually those people who achieve something awful or who in the process of achieving are undermining our own achievement. It's, it's remarkable. It's a remarkable story. It's really short. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it starts out like an essay, philosophical essay, that ends up being a mad a madman's horror story. Uh, and it was central to Stewart's idea of what a horror film could do. Uh, and uh, I, I, I was with him 100% on that. So we always loved Poe. And uh, The Pit and the Pendulum was uh, particularly, is it one of his great stories? Uh, and we wanted, but and again, we wanted to fill it out. Uh, it, actually, The Pit and the Pendulum is a very uh, political film. It's about uh, the it's about uh, misogyny and the uh, the crusade against uh, women that witchcraft tr- mm. that the witchcraft trials actually were. It's about anti-Semitism. Uh, it's set in uh, Spain. Uh, we set our Poe's story is set at the end of the Inquisition, mm-hmm. right at the end of the, among the last acts. What the narrator, what the protagonist is suffering, is one of the last acts of the uh, perverse reign of the Inquisition. Uh, our film goes back to the beginning of the Inquisition in 1492. Ooh, that's an important date. What else happened in 1492? Well, uh, leave that to you. But it was uh, it, it was clear to us that these issues, these uh, uh, inhumane issues, are central to any horror story. Uh, so it was uh, a story we really felt uh, that we we wanted to tell and there's you know it it ended up uh i wish you could see the original script for that if you know our version of the pit and the pendulum uh you you know that there's terrific performances in it you know that it's a very perverse film about those uh inhumane practices of the inquisition uh those monstrous uh inhumane uh tortures that they put people through uh, but what's missing, though, and, and ending up with the pendulum, uh, with the uh, the the horror of the descending uh, pendulum. Uh, what what's missing is the pit. We had a whole section uh, written on the pit that took place in the pit, mm-hmm. uh, and it got cut uh, because they couldn't afford this. Couldn't because it didn't. It didn't because once once they came up with a real budget. Uh, we couldn't have the pit and the pendulum and we had to choose and you always choose the pendulum, don't you? You know, I mean, come on. So uh, we had to go that way, but uh, you know, I really miss uh, that, that film, that film is missing uh, a core piece. So when you talk about, uh, you mentioned identity, how does identity play into films where there's uh body swapping or, or doppelgangers so i'm thinking of like body snatchers or your new film suitable flesh how do you think about identity in those films uh the question of identity is probably the most profound horror it was certainly the most profound horror for lovecraft uh he was always worried that uh that insanity uh, in his family was going to uh destroy his own uh rationality was going to destroy his own identity uh and uh and and from that idea comes the idea that somewhere back in your genetic past is something monstrous which is central to almost all his great his greater fiction uh 
so that sense of identity uh uh mystery the mystery of identity and the potentially uh terrifying uh mystery of identity uh meaning that the revelation of who you really are might might undo your entire your entire life as you have lived it to that point is there in uh the original story uh on which suitable flesh is based the thing on the doorstep uh the thing on the doorstep is one of poe's uh more fully realized short stories uh it tells more of the story than a lot of his uh other fiction does it has it focuses on three main characters and the interplay of them is uh actually more uh dramatic even though it's stretched out in you know attenuated uh and, and tension built uh, it's actually a more dramatic central story of uh, the struggles between these three mentalities, these three minds, uh, if uh, over the course of their uh, their knowing each other, uh, as opposed to almost all the rest of his work. So we were drawn to that story. Uh, Stuart was drawn to that story and said, "Dennis, write this." He was in he was in Europe making uh, Dagon. He said, "Dennis, let's do this story next. Write it up." So I went off and wrote wrote the script. Uh, and if you know the story, it's about uh, mind swapping, uh, which means, of course, that it's also about body swapping. Uh, however, it's in this case, in the case of the original story and in terms of our and our story is suitable flesh. It's about gender swapping, mm -hmm. which not, that's not where a lot of body swapping or mind swapping stories go. Uh, it, it's there in the original story. Uh, and we just took off from that. We, we decided let's investigate that and see, see where it goes. So one of the changes we made was that uh, to the original story was that the, we made the protagonist a uh, psychiatrist. Uh, and the reason for that is in basic psychiatry and Freudian psychiatry and the fundamental psychotherapy that followed from it, uh, it's all, it's not uncommon for the very troubled uh, patient to displace their profound, the profound fear that caused their psychic agony to displace that onto their relationship with their therapist. Mm -hmm. And that's called transference. And that's sort of what happens. They transfer one mentality to their therapist which is fundamental to the structure of our film. So we felt that worked and it works perfectly when you put somebody like Heather Graham in the psychiatrist seat. Uh, and uh, the gender swapping, uh, we switched the genders from Lovecraft's original story. And that was Joe Lynch's idea. That was the director, Joe Lynch's idea. And that helped refresh that script. As I said, I started writing this script when Stuart was, filming Dagon uh, back in the mid late nineties. So that's, this script is 20 some years old by the time it got produced and it was optioned and not done. People liked it, but they couldn't raise the money. It was optioned again and it was rejected by uh, funders. Uh, several actors liked it. They uh, optioned it and couldn't get it done. And it was always for the same reason. And I'll let you, if you've seen the movie, guess what that is. But I put it in a drawer and then after Stuart 
unfortunately passed away after Stuart Gordon, unfortunately uh, died at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I found myself in several Zoom memorials for him with Barbara Crampton, who had starred in a number of our movies. And she, besides being uh, historically one of, the, uh, one of the great scream queens in Hollywood uh, and uh, just an enduring actress, a uh, successful actress, had become put on a producer's hat and had become a successful low-budget horror producer. And she asked me, Dennis, do you have any scripts in the drawer? And I pulled out uh, the thing on the doorstep, uh, tweaked it a little bit and sent it to her. She liked it. She optioned it. Uh, she connected Joe Lynch, which was pretty much assured that it would get made. He connected Heather Graham, which absolutely assured it would get made. And, uh, and Joe asked me to rewrite it, switching the genders of the main characters. And that helped refresh that script. I had been, you know, you sort of write a script, you know, you sort of sit with a script uh, for a couple of decades and you, you know, it, you get, you dig your heels in and you go, you know, this is good. I don't care what people say. I'm not changing anything. But Joe's suggestion just, again, you talk about obsession. It re-inspired me. And I was able to look at the story in a new way. It refreshed the story. I was able to rewrite it. It still worked. It worked It worked great, if not better. Uh, and it was shiny and wet uh, when I gave them the script and, it, and, and they did a great job with it. But notice, the main characters are two women now. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, two of the main characters are women, one played by Barbara. Uh, and it's great to work with her again. And I, uh, spoiler alert, I'm a guy uh, writing these female, these female. Before, check out from Condigan. Barbara is the female, Barbara's the lead. Uh, so I've written her as a female lead before, indeed playing a psychiatrist. So I was, uh, I, I had a template to work with uh, that had created a successful uh, lead role for a female character. Uh, but I ran it by Barbara. I tried to run this stuff by Barbara as much as possible to make sure that, you know, we were, uh, we were writing an exciting and uh, thrilling horror film, but that we were also, uh, uh, we were also not, uh, we we're not also not crossing certain gender lines. Uh, actually, we crossed all the gender lines. I take that back. We crossed we crossed them all, but in such a way that made the story uh, uh, profound in relation as profound as it can be in relation to women's roles in our society at, at, pertaining to now. Uh, so. We hope that work. We hope that works for everybody. Mm -hmm. What well, I interviewed Joe Lynch a couple of years ago for Mayhem. He also likes kind of the intersection of horror and comedy. Mm -hmm. um, I've been talking about this with a few guests recently. Horror and comedy audiences both are looking for something unexpected. What other parallels do you see between the two, or in combining the two? I look at somebody when they're laughing really hard. Doesn't it look like they're having sex? Uh, you know, it's, and that's because it's humor and sexuality do the same thing. They release tension. Uh, and, uh, horror builds tension. So when you build tension, you let it off in some horrific way. 
And that horrific way is often attached to some sexual fear. Or you laugh. It's, it's the, you release the tension by going, that is so over the top. That is so mad. That is so crazy. Punchlines are always crazy. They give you an absolutely different way. They surprise you because they give you a different perspective on reality, on what you thought the reality was. Well, that's what horror films should do too. The line between horror and humor is always close. It's always close. When you make a horror film, you have to, if you make a horror film and you want it to be absolutely horrific, you have to be careful that it's not funny because it could go over, you know, one, one false move and it goes over into humor. So we tried to make those false moves true. We tried to thought, we, we tried to go with it. We, again, uh, Stuart was fearless as a director and the same is true of Joe. It was really nice to connect with Joe. Joe knew Stuart. Joe, uh, uh, you know, Stuart was a generous soul, uh, he loved working with actors. He loved working with, uh, he loved collaborating with writers uh, and he loved uh, meeting young directors uh, and uh, talking with them about their projects and, and supporting them as, as he could. And one of them was Joe. And uh, they have, to some degree, their sensibilities overlap. And uh, it, was, it was great to work with. It was great to find Joe and to be able to work with him. Uh, but because he does understand that. Uh, that, uh, and he, and again, he's not, he's not afraid. He's not afraid to push it. Uh, a lot of the horror written over the last 20 years is more serious and more subtle than ours. We were foot stomping, uh, audience yelling, uh, crazy horror. Uh, and that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're still doing it. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, let's I hope Sam Raimi comes back and uh, picks up the next of the, uh, the next of his uh, oeuvre. Uh, but uh, the horror over the last 20 years, and I'm not demeaning it, it's good stuff. There's been really good, scary, uh, awful, uh, disturbing stuff out there. Uh, highly perverse and, 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 and profoundly troubling. Uh, that's good, but those films cannot afford to go over into into out you know out loud humor. Uh, they you know they're the the storytelling doesn't allow it. Our storytelling allows everything. We can go wherever we want, and we revel by we I mean Stuart and I, and, and now Joe and Barbara and I we revel in that freedom. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.